Welcome back to Top Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osian, and I am here today with Anna Stitch, DP history teacher and examiner. As well, she's got her master's in international and public affairs from the University of Hong Kong. It's really cool. So we are here today. We're going to be talking about prompt nine. Are some types of knowledge less open to interpretation than others? Before we get started with that, I want to go back. Can you tell me a little bit about what you studied? What was your degree? Yeah, so um, I was—I actually did DP history myself. Um, wow. I've always been interested, like as a, I, the, I know the term sort of overused, but well, not overused, but some people uh, recognize it and like it. The third culture kid growing up in Hong Kong, um, being born in the Bahamas, and my mother's from the Bahamas, and my dad is English. I've always been fascinated in. I didn't quite know what international relations was, but yeah. I wanted to gain a better understanding of like what that was. So at university, I did um, Spanish history and uh, politics. And then I later went on to come back to Hong Kong and do my master's. It was called the MIPA, Masters of International and Public Affairs. And actually, it is very... Uh, it's very prevalent to what's happening today because it's lo- it was looking at China's ascendancy and it was looking mm. at sort of like Sino-US relations as well as sort of the Asia-Pacific region. Um, mm. And it was, it was really fascinating. It was actually a master's designed for mid-career professionals and I was sort of the youngest on, on that, which was a mm. little bit stressful, but it was really interesting. And looking back on it, I think it equipped me um, with a lot of the the tools that I now find very helpful in in teaching history and especially like the current uh, the climate and 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 the sort of the balance of power and structure of the international world. So um, yeah, we were looking at um, different uh, scholars' perspectives on the nature of China's rise and how that would challenge uh the dominant hegemony of like the the western powers and there were like critical theories on that and i also went to um peking university in beijing for my last semester and we had some scholars who were specialized in sort of the european union and china and looking at like comparative politics um and yeah it it was a while ago now but i think that you know when you read the news and especially living through it now, it's, it is quite, it was quite handy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's good, especially reading so many different perspectives on a particular matter and mm-hmm. how that, you know, it made me very passionate about trying to critique different schools of thought and to, you know, the importance of using different lenses to consider mm-hmm. a particular event or phenomena. And so, yeah, um, I thought it was quite interesting. Wow, what a really powerful background for a teacher to have. I mean, I'm thinking about all these, you're talking about perspectives mm-hmm. and Sino-US relationship. And, and European. European, yeah. so on. Um, and it really does lead nicely into the question about interpretation mm-hmm. and this idea that some types of knowledge might be less open to interpretation. I wonder what you think about that in that realm yeah i think it's really interesting i think obviously as a historian i'm going to address it from from that academic background but i think obviously uh when i was a student i struggled with the subjects that were more narrow in terms of the scope of there is less interpretation and i think we all agree that that would be sort of the maths and 
uh, a formulaic approach, sure. right? Whereas history, the what I found to be the beauty, and I was always drawn to sort of literature, art, and history because mm. I, you are forced to um, pick apart what is deemed to be a fact or knowledge in order to mm. to revise that, and that's why in history mm. we have revisionism and revisionist scholars because mm -hmm. you know how we viewed the cold war the cold war it existed we can agree you know from f from 45 until you know 90 or 89 however history historiography has changed substantially from when we were looking at it in terms of the access of information and data that was available at that time mm -hmm. so you know in real time how we were interpreting the world and the dynamics and the relationships while well, orthodox historians viewed it very much as being you know soviets were to blame in terms of the deterioration of relations however as time passed and we had greater access to information and there was the birth of new different types of thinking in the left-wing politicians you know they would challenge those which then opened up a whole new world of perspective and interpreting the events that were occurring and then in today's society it seems like there's more progression and there's post-revisionism and we think more in terms of themes or concepts or ideas mm -hmm. and then we're now considering previously marginalized groups and we're looking at archives mm -hmm. and we're getting our hands on certain you know papers or information or previously um yeah archived information and that is reinvigorating the field as well so mm. history is sort of a dynamic and evolving um way of knowing and 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 subject and i think historians are drawn to it because it is you are expected and encouraged to challenge yeah. the status quo so in some ways like actually history is one of the types of knowledge mm -hmm. historical knowledge yeah. might be perhaps completely open to interpretation. Mm. This is where we need to pick apart and say, are there, because you know, from an untrained person who is not in the realm of history, mm. I look at it and I think, surely there are things that are not negotiable, like mm -hmm. either the, the event that it happened or that the piece of history exists and therefore that's not open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's... Yeah, I would say that of course there's like in terms of tangible... Um, evidence mm. right history is all about the selection and and interpretation of evidence so mm. the evidence itself can be less open oh, to yeah. interpretation right so the tools we use to understand the past so whether we're talking about um you know artifacts or a primary source or a photograph mm -hmm. or a monument or so on and so forth or a speech that was taken from you know let's say Mussolini written in Italian and it's a recording of that we're hearing that. However, that in itself is not actually incredibly valuable to a historian by itself because we form an understanding of, it's like a mapping of the time and the or the event through the inclusion of all of those different yeah. pieces of evidence or right. facts. or So in themselves, they may be less open to interpretation, but alone they are insufficient for us to understand what happened. So the role of the historian is to compile, select, and to interpret mm. the evidence in mm -hmm. order to form an understanding and then to articulate that mm. through, well, either historiography or forming arguments. But a, a highly regarded historian would be one who would challenge their assumption in order to prove that 
so to make it more accurate so mm -hmm. for example even having counter arguments to your it's about the balance and mm -hmm. providing a range of perspective and uh interpretation so so the more the better yeah i would say so like for example um in history uh, dp history that ria it's a historical investigation mm -hmm. so the nature of that is very much about selecting an area that you're passionate about and it's the more the more um i would say niche is probably the better as mm. long as there are sources because yeah, again sure. you don't want to go too left field that you're examining something that there's an absence of evidence yeah. because then you can't maybe come up with a an argument but we encourage the students to select something that they're actually quite fascinated about um and they want to genuinely find out more about yeah. they want to answer this question so then the the way of going about that is that they need to find a range of quality pieces of evidence mm -hmm. and that can be you know it can be pictorial or a piece of propaganda or it can be an artifact but uh, or it can be a second, uh, secondary uh, source where it's someone's interpret. Usually, that's incorporating a range of primary source material. However, they must go about interpreting that, finding some themes and some arguments from that, and constructing a clear response to the question that they've yeah. come up with. So again, it's it's highly. They need to scrutinize the evidence yeah. within that to show a high degree of understanding of what it is that they're looking at. Yeah. So history is, it is by nature, constantly reinterpreting and interpreting mm -hmm. facts and evidence based on the access yeah. to information and evidence that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a it's really nice to hear you put it that way because, I think often, especially students, but also adults. You know, once even once we're out of school, we even think that history is just what happened in the past mm -hmm. and that there is just sort of one version of that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know there's problems with that because mm -hmm. perhaps the, you know, some of it gets left out. But I don't think people have a good understanding of how complex it is the, and that history, in, in a sense, like the more that time goes on, the more complex it becomes. Well, yeah, I think like the danger is that there are some paths that are really well trodden mm. and really overly saturated by certain types of historians. So like if you think about, you know, after the Second World War, you had a lot of there's a lot of white British males who wrote about the Second World War. Yeah. Or there's going to be a dominant if you if you look at the historiography on particular events, they are very homogenous. Yeah. Like and so now I think it is important, like in, in, in IB, we really do emphasize, and it's that's the beauty of teaching history in the context of IB, it's that it is very critical mm. of that. And it, yeah. it forces students to consider, you know, that is one of the key methods of history is to um, is source analysis. Mm. So we need to interrogate the origin, yeah. the purpose, and the content mm -hmm. in terms of its value and limitation. So who wrote this? Mm. Or, or where does this come from? Um, what what was it intended to do? Mm. How valuable is that to a historian trying to understand this particular event or so on and so forth? And what are the limitations of this based yeah. on the origin and the purpose? And, and so, then that also that what you mentioned about the selection of the knowledge, like what has been left, left out. out. I think that's like even, that must be even bigger than what we have yeah I mean if you just oh. think about how hard it is you're going through your life and 
as, a, as an individual, even to tell my own history, yeah. to go through and, you know, I'm going to select the parts that I want to remember and the things Absolutely. that build meaning for myself. But that's only a fraction of what has actually happened. And the, all what it has left out is massive compared to what I'm what I'm holding on to well yeah absolutely and that's where conflict as well arises in terms of different cultures or ex- like different people's experiences interpretation of of the past and we can see that a lot of the current conflict or or disagreements that we have are based on interpretation of the past mm-hmm. or um and, and and different belief systems so yeah that's why it is very important to try and be as objective as possible and the role of the historian is to try and remove the subjective eye mm. that, and, and to really scrutinize all of the evidence in yeah. order to have some sort of, it will never be a fact, but it's a sort of a historical um, known, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I like that. So the role of the historian, can you say that again? The role of the historian is to remove... It's, it's, it's to remove the subjective eye, so the personal, mm. like, you know, I think this and I yeah it's to remove oneself and all of one's biases yeah. from the equation and to consider a range of contrasting and at times yes conflicting evidence to gain a more accurate sense of what took place basically yeah, yeah. that I mean that brings up a really important question about bias and that I mean bias is obviously going to play a role in interpretation but you're saying that historians, good historians, truly are striving to rid themselves mm-hmm. as much or at least be aware of their own biases mm. so that they can then create some form of interpretation that is more valid yeah. or as, as many variety of perspectives as incorporated as yeah. possible. I would say it's very few and far between because you have to think of what is the intention of the historian and many of the historians that we will come across their intention might be to be a historian, to gain sort of reputation by holding on to a unique or novel perspective mm. or by having some sort of controversial insight or to, mm. to take a different route, right? So it's about, again, being critical of what you come across. Like, everything has an intention. Mm. So then I think very few people actually are, even as, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, coming from a range of different backgrounds and trying, you know, seeing things from different angles. Yeah. I think you, you invariably, when you look at, for example, um, a book from a historian or a source, you have to say, okay, where's this individual? First of all, the, the gender, the ethnicity, the the nationality, mm. the school that they went to, the department within the university, yeah. what, is, what is their reputation and how... How much have they been swayed or, or impacted by their professors? Yeah. And it, it really does have mm. a tremendous impact on that. Yeah. But then the student of history, I think that's the key thing. Maybe not the historian, but the student of history should be aware oh, of yeah. that. And, and I, especially in our, in our school, that's my job is to sort of remind students of that. Yeah. Um, to be very critical of yeah. that. Yeah. And that, that you were talking about that earlier, like the idea of like what is taught versus what is written. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, that contrast? Mm. I didn't quite realize this until I grew up when, you know, going to an IB school, mm-hmm. you know, I learned about Russian history and Chinese history and European history. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I 
went to university in the UK and I started to gain, you know, some friends from from different backgrounds. I was quite taken aback at it's not fair to say like the limited scope, but the history that they were learning was very particular mm-hmm. and based on the experiences of a small range of it's written by a small uh yeah small percentage of individuals and I found it to be largely not representative of 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 the wider world and the history of the wider world so I always found that to be something where I thought well that's propaganda that's that's not yeah reflect like you know we often talk about the implications of like the government on the access to like the history that we learn Mm -hmm. so you know we assume that for example the history that's being learned in china oh because you know they're going to have um censorship of some materials for example and that might impact the the study of the past but the same goes for men every every single country country, unless you are really truly operating in a in a school that um you know, I think the IB history program is so is one of the few curriculums that actually fosters that international mindedness. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about taught versus written, um, it's what the textbooks that you have access to and who's writing those and what is being left out yeah. and how that can have an impact. I think I'm in, am I understanding the question. Probably? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, and in some countries, there's been you know, it's sort of from the government. Um, an initiative like or it's become mandatory to to reconsider the past and to take responsibility for some of the perceived atrocities that have taken place Mm -hmm. you know so there's like a a a collective Mm. um healing or educational process that takes place and history is maybe not necessarily rewritten but it's opened up the written curriculum is then reconsidered and readdressed Mm. and so just considering that, it I think highlights how much we don't mm. uh, know, or we don't consider, or yeah, and and the impact that can have on one's understanding of themselves and the world around them. Mm. And that changes the way we look at this question about like are some types of knowledge less open to interpretation. I think initially I thought it was just meaning by the nature of the knowledge itself, mm-hmm. but actually what you're talking about with governments and purpose of um, or like the agenda yeah. of whoever it might be that's curating that history yeah. um, would allow less interpretation. So it would be less open yeah. for that reason, not by the nature of the knowledge itself, but by the aims of the interpreters. Yeah, the policies mm-hmm. of the government can inform yeah. the access to yeah. information and the interpretation that we have. Yeah. And it absolutely does. So that, therefore, yes, there would definitely be some types of knowledge within history that are less open to interpretation because of the um, perspective. Yeah. yeah. We were also talking about methods. Yes. Um, and how important that the, the methods within history mm-hmm. are in terms of interpretation. And I had thought a little bit about like what counts as evidence or something within history or um, we were talking about like artifacts perhaps mm-hmm. or letters you mm-hmm. mentioned like a speech or recording yeah. of a speech um, and are, what, what would you say like uh, does that have an influence on 
how open to interpretation it is based on the method itself or based on the evidence itself? I think you could, like, I think this is where, like, for example, you mentioned, are, are there some pieces of evidence that are less open to interpretation? Right. So I think the key point is, yes, however, th- alone they are insufficient yeah, okay. to have, like, his history is not as simple as, okay, well, this exists and therefore that's the answer. You're right. So we're not, that's not what the discipline is, right? So even if we have a concrete um, item, um, we that alone doesn't explain because history is about explaining. Right. So that's where that's what the discipline is. So even if, for example, we for source analysis, this is one of the key methods of history. So students would be expected, like if we're trying to understand about um, Italian foreign policy, you know, in the forties or something like that, they might come across. They'd be given with a. A speech from Mussolini that articulates exactly what the foreign policy is. Mm-hmm. So Mussolini is stating, okay, this is what the intentions are. So and fairly, seemingly. Yeah, and you go, well, then that's, that's his the intention. Okay. But the role of the historian would be to say, well, first of all, is this translated? Second of all, who's the audience? Third, why was this written? Um, what's yeah. being left out? The actual history itself is about interpreting that yeah. seemingly concrete primary source Mm. and interrogating it and saying who's left out of this what does and the job of the historian is then to try and find a balance and to 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 look at another source to Mm, count mm. so yeah to get a greater understanding of what really were the intentions of the foreign policy what are the limitations of only considering Mussolini's words at this time right well it's a form of propaganda he's trying to galvanize support Mm. he wants to you know okay so then we need to consider so I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to um, the arts. Yeah. So looking at a painting on the wall yeah. is very similar to the speech in that way. Yeah. They alone aren't enough to give us the meaning. No. We have to do some work after looking at or listening to yeah. that piece of work. Yeah. Um, and the interpretation, it's kind of, I mean, within the arts, if I consider this question, like are some types of knowledge in the arts perhaps less open to interpretation than others. I mean, it kind of is a, I would say yes, there probably are some types mm. of knowledge within the arts. And I would say even within history, mm. like maybe there are some that are just less interesting mm. to open up to interpretation. Mm. It's like, we just don't need to do that much because mm. it, it wasn't, maybe it's based on the, not so much the type of knowledge that it's art or history, mm. but that, that, the level or complexity or mm. the importance, the significance yeah. of that. Like, do I need to know what it meant by what the artist intended by that particular color choice? How much impact does that have versus um, like a, a, a series of work that is expansive and, and influenced something greater um, and, and interpreting that? Do you see what I mean? So yeah. the and scale, I, perhaps. And I think that's something I'll take away and have a think about because it's something I haven't actually really toyed with much before and what the implications of that might mean for yeah. for the subject. But yeah, I know what you mean, but I am actually quite like stumped thinking about yeah. that. <laughs> it reminds me of that, like the butterfly effect, right? Yeah. Like a butterfly flaps its wings and then it has all these implications and, and yeah. effects that we can't even yeah. fathom. So maybe my argument is void in history because maybe it is really looking at everything but that is what history is it is it is interpretation like 
perspective is like I mentioned one of the six key concepts and um, I I think um, you know obviously you can say like on this day you know Poland was invaded okay yeah but then what's the value (laughs) then our job is that you know we don't we're not going to leave it there yeah we we look at causation consequence yeah significance perspective change and continuity Mm. that's our you know what we're fixated on is those things so in order for us to know why something was you know the cause of something we need to look at all the factors and then Mm -hmm. it's so in history there isn't very much consideration of just okay this is we don't interpret you know i think this happened yeah this happened the end okay well well, then (laughs) we don't write about it (laughs) it, also you just said something about invaded and it made me think about language and Mm. that how that impacts our interpretation of history i mean just the the word atrocity versus what would be another word for atrocity um tragedy or incident yeah right i mean we hear lots of countries using those words to describe the same event but from a particular perspective oh absolutely um and you see that all throughout history and you know for example uh in grade nine right now we're just looking at um turning points in the second world war Mm -hmm. and sort of evaluating how significant they were and they have to justify you know for example looking at the blitz looking at pearl harbor looking at dunkirk okay what to what extent was this event a turning point like how Mm -hmm. did it change the balance of power or the direction and they Mm -hmm. have to sort of um, explain that but we were just looking at how Dunkirk for example one event Mm -hmm. we looked at it from German newspapers British newspapers and we looked at like a range of different sources on how that was interpreted whether Mm -hmm. it was a person who was actually there or it was a piece of art or it was from a newspaper or a german perspective and vastly you know the tone and the language used you know from one perspective it could look like a triumph Uh and on the other it could look like a disaster so again this is where you then have to sort of compare the evidence to see okay we're comparing all these contrasting sources but what remains true Mm. or what can we take from this that we can agree is all similar Mm. and then what are the differences it is really quite complicated with something like (laughs) that would it be that you arrive at the conclusion where it's both oh yeah i mean i would i would say um both both the triumph and a disaster depending on the way that you look at it however if you were writing an essay for example Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to what extent was um Dunkirk a triumph for the BEF or something like Mm. that you would be expected to have sort of a clear thesis statement so how are you going to answer that was it it should be clear actually you should say yes to a significant extent it was a triumph Mm -hmm. or to a moderate extent it Mm -hmm. was a triumph or to a limited extent it was a triumph Mm -hmm. and then your job is to support that with claims throughout Mm -hmm. so you would say you might consider on the one hand there's evidence to suggest there were some disastrous outcomes however you must reach a conclusion based on the evidence mm-hmm. so out after considering all of that where was it on that spectrum mm-hmm. was it a triumph or a disaster there are nuances so you appreciate the nuances but you mm-hmm. need to come to some sort of like if it was a scale where does it fall on the, you need to yeah, answer that sure. question right um, but no answer should be just one-sided it should right. a, a historian should not be saying it was you know, a history student should not be coming out and writing an essay that only considers how it was a triumph. Right, sure. They would not, if it was an essay for, for example, an exam, the examiner would say that it was one-sided. It was not yeah. considering 
the it other. didn't do the didn't yeah. fulfill the role of a historian yes. in order to consider exactly so is it like is that about maybe the aim of historians is to would you say is it like to form some sort of omniscient kind of perspective of history um is that like an ultimate aim like we want to know what the real the big picture is so we want to take into account all the perspectives and and be able to hold all of those I think at the that same dilutes, time. The, it dilutes. The, the, the power of history. Now, mm. I think, like, mm, as a historian, we should be aware of those things. But ultimately, we are making an argument. Yeah. And I, so, so, so it can't be a triumph and a no, disaster you need to at reach the same time. A conclusion. Because at the end of that, you're weighing up what the repercussions of it was for one group of people or another. Yeah. And while it might be a triumph for one, it might be so disastrous that it's the scale of that disaster or triumph outweighs the other. Yeah. I think the key thing is that you need to be able to demonstrate an ability to evaluate Mm. perspectives in order to reach a firm conclusion. Yeah, yeah. So you should be evaluating evidence and evaluating perspectives, but having a consistent and clear... Your thesis statement is stated at the beginning, so it's like you know what your answer is, and you're going to demonstrate why it is Mm. so through Mm. the evaluation of evidence and perspective. So just kind of coming back and perhaps wrapping up here, I I think what you're telling me is that, yes, some types of knowledge, (laughs) particularly within history. I would say everything is open to interpretation. (laughs) So it's interesting, even like with looking within history, we touched on some of the types of knowledge within history that might potentially be less open to interpretation. And that was one of those was whether the fact of the event or Mm. whether it existed or not. But even we have deniers of those Mm. types of things as well. So, but we tend to be less accepting of Mm. people who deny events that lots of people agree on. Yeah. Um, I would say the wording in this case, it's so much like we can agree that something might be a historical fact, but that is based on using a range of different um, types of, like we are, it's not based on interpreting one fact or one um, piece of evidence, Right. right? So we can agree that there are some historical truths or or agreed upon facts however those are based on constant scrutiny of yeah. the evidence yeah. if that makes sense i'm not sure no it was. does it makes perfect <laughs> sense and, I, and i'm just thinking that like it kind of changes the question because it, yeah there are potentially some that are less open to interpretation of others but if actually if that's the purpose of history then mm. we don't really care if yeah. there are some that are less open mm. or not or not the fact is that it's all open to mm-hmm. interpretation. Mm-hmm. Maybe some perhaps more than yeah. it is, is more important that it's interpreted or that it's open to multiple perspectives yeah. um, than others. But mm. interesting. I, I think I probably need to talk to someone in math, like you mentioned, to see if there is such a thing, yeah. to see if there is such a thing as um, knowledge in math that is l- less open to interpretation. It does feel like yeah. the most concrete type of knowledge that you can develop meaning from math without um, interpreting it. Actually, even that, like, I'm just thinking about, like, yeah, so you know the answer to a mathematical problem, but, like, something has to be done from that point. So Mm. even having the answer needs to be interpreted. Mm. I have to find someone in math to talk to you about (laughs) this. Maybe down the line. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with with me and this busy 
end of the year. I, I really appreciate it. That was really interesting. Oh, it was fun. Thank you very much. Yeah.